Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduccio, and what we're doing this time around is fandom, because I bet you're a fan of something. I hope you're a fan of this podcast, but I'm going to be talking about how very much fandom has evolved. Now, obviously, what I tend to do is start off with the pop culture bit, the fandom stuff in this case. And then I go on to the history. So I won't be taking you through the whole evolution of history, but I'm going to say examples of fandom. And I'm going to say this is different to just sort of sucking up to the king, but genuine examples of people fanboying in inverted commas about people go back absolutely to at least the ancient Romans, if not the ancient Greeks. So it goes back quite a long way. But that comes later. First of all, let's talk about fandom. And I remember reading a really interesting article saying, and this is, if you like, the, the thesis of this whole podcast, that back in the 1980s, fandom meant loving something despite its flaws. But today, it means getting very angry at the thing if it doesn't deliver exactly what I want. I 100% agree with that. I put it on Twitter, and I got a lot of people also agreeing on it, but of course I had one person saying, no, it's always been that way. No, it was bad like that in the 80s, even though this person admitted that they weren't even alive in the 80s, so I was just remembering what it was like when I was a teenager back in the 1980s. So I'm going to use that very intellectual argument of, shut up, I know what I'm talking about and you don't. Sorry, couldn't help myself. Let's see if that person ever hears this podcast. I don't know. I can't even remember who it was. But the thing was, you know, as a little kid, I remember the sheer excitement around the sequel to Star Wars, this movie called The Empire Strikes Back, which now also had an, an ident next to it. It was episode five, and suddenly Star Wars was episode four, A New Hope. So it was like a feeling of this ongoing saga. And so that, you know, that got everybody excited. I remember pouring through, I was very young at this time, and my reading wasn't up to the standards of the Sunday Times magazine, but my parents always got the Sunday Times, and it has always had a magazine or culture section in the back of it in a Sunday, still does. And my parents, anything Star Wars related, would shove in front of me. And I remember having this little pin board in my bedroom, and I'd cut out this 
white corridor with this new sinister helmed figure called Boba Fett. And just like, who is he? What's he like? I knew nothing about, because of course this is all pre-internet and pre-what everybody now knows about Boba Fett. And the fact of the matter is, the reason why he got a lot of fans in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi is down to the fact that his armor looks cool. He says, I think it's something like seven lines between both that and Return of the Jedi in the entirety of the trilogy. He's only in two of them. He obviously goes out incredibly stupidly in Return of the Jedi, which got a lot of people sort of hot under the collar, shall we say. That's one of the few examples of people not liking something in fandom. But generally, we were all on board and we were all excited and... In a weird way, Boba Fett, particularly in The Empire Strikes Back, didn't disappoint, didn't say much, but he was basically like the man with no name in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, or The Fistful of Dollars, or whatever, Clint Eastwood. He was the strong, silent type. This is why The Mandalorian today, fast-forwarding 40 years, is like that, because if Boba Fett, the most famous Mandalorian, was like that, let's make this new character like that as well. That's just one example. Everybody was excited. You get little drips and drabs of things. The other great thing about going to the movies pre-internet is you hadn't seen the trailer umpty nine times. Nowadays, you get a teaser trailer for the trailer, then you get the full trailer, and then you get the final trailer. That's too many trailers. Just give me a chunk of... Give me an idea of what the movie's like. And I do think... And to be fair, this has been going on since the 1990s. Please, don't show anything in the last third of the movie. The very first Mission Impossible film has a scene in it, in the trailer, where Tom Cruise is lying on a train and a helicopter blade just misses from slicing his throat open. That's the last shot of the last action scene in the whole movie. Thanks for that. that. That kind of ruined that for me. So I know I'm moaning a little bit, but the point here is there's genuine excitement. There was discussions in the playground. There were discussions on TV sometimes. It was important to see something like Barry Norman doing Film 86 because that was the way we consumed our film information. There were magazines telling you about video games or the new TV shows or movies or what have you basic entertainment systems there were consumed in an analog way and they were shared avidly by fans and sometimes a tv show was taken off air this was particularly prevalent in america if an american show was popular in the uk but wasn't popular in america nothing was going to change about that but there are some examples in the 1980s of tv shows that were particularly popular that ended up getting enough letters being written into the studios that they kind of kick-started it again. So, you know, fans were out there and they just wanted more because this was the time where nobody could create really fan fiction and spread it. There is now entire websites full of what's known as slash fiction, not because it's horrible, but because it might be Superman slash Batman. So it's a story about Superman and Batman. Something that could be very naughty. But yeah, pretty much any character that you can think of from any piece of pop culture, somebody has written a short story or a novella around them because they're such a fan or a complete pervert. But that's another story. Uh, but the, the thing is that, you know, it's the Internet that's now democratized all this stuff. I remember in the early times of YouTube, there were people who created trailers 
So, so in other words, getting some people, maybe at, at film school, and they, you know, maybe they got a friend who can do some basic digital design. There's enough friends and family members that they can pull together two minutes of a trailer of something like Batman. A, a great one, which I absolutely loved, was Batman versus Predator. I'm pretty sure that's still on YouTube. And it's like, wow, it's just a tiny little bit. It's five minutes long, maybe. And obviously it's not a whole movie, but they've got enough going on in that. It's like, I would watch the film version of that. But obviously the budget can't stretch to a whole hour and a half. And obviously there's a whole thing about rights, etc., etc. But suddenly YouTube was able to get people who are really into a thing to start saying, I love it too. And this is what I would do with it, etc. I've noticed that those trailers have actually died out because, funnily enough, those people from 20 years ago who were at things like film school are now actual directors directing things and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't is fair to say you get somebody like jj abrams who was given the seventh star wars movie and he like me just grew up with star wars he knew everything about it and he was a kid in a candy shop to use his own phrase there and really what the seventh movie was was a soft reboot of the whole thing and everybody loved it everybody loved it because people were a little meh on the whole prequels but as interestingly the new star wars movies have continued there's been a lot more love for the prequels because it turned out while they are flawed at least george lucas had an overarching plan whereas how how could you spend over four billion dollars buying star wars and obviously other ancillary lucas rights like indiana jones for example but the star wars was the main jewel in the crown I mean, it certainly wasn't Howard the Duck, but I digress. And then they create a whole new trilogy. Everybody's waiting for it. And the first one works so well, but they never thought to sit down and write out what's going to happen in the whole trilogy. We're just going to make it up from, from movie to movie. And unsurprisingly, third one, which I still can't remember, is it Rise of Skywalker or Last Jedi? Last Jedi is the second one. Rise of Skywalker is the third one. I've only ever seen it once because it's a mess. It's not good simple as that anyway i know i've just said oh you know fans nowadays feel more entitled yes and no in the sense that i guess we're more media literate nowadays but i do not get when people get extremely angry about a thing because they didn't do it the way they wanted it to you're not the gatekeeper i guess george lucas has the right to be a bit angry if star wars has been pushed into an area that they didn't really like or george R. R. martin if we're talking about game of thrones or, so, or something like that if you're the creator, you can have an opinion. But again, going back to like the 70s, 80s, 90s, generally if something was made, you didn't really hear what the original writer did. Or indeed sometimes, because why not? You get somebody like Clive Barker, who wrote Hellraiser, given the money to make Hellraiser the movie. Have you ever directed before, Clive? No. Okay, well do it anyway. I'm sure you'll do a great job. And for the record, Hellraiser very much its technologies of its time still overall if you're willing to look past some of the special effects of the 1980s still holds up as a staggeringly creepy horror movie but anyway i'm going to say that fans really did love things and then like i say nowadays with all these choices and all these budgets after the lord of the rings movies it's like they're going to get around to the hobbit oh they made the hobbit i think the hobbit movies are fine i think people who start sort of moaning about them the reality is you spoil 
you know, okay, yes, the, the Lord of the Rings movies, if you like that kind of thing. Recently, I did some work with somebody. I can't even remember what they said was the perfect trilogy of movies and nothing else comes close to it. God, sorry, I, I forget what the trilogy was. But I said, well, what about Lord of the Rings? He goes, I hated Lord of the Rings. I went, well, you might have hated Lord of the Rings, but the third one did win 11 Oscars, which is a sign, at least in that genre, it was consistently good if the last one wins more Oscars than the other ones. Now, I get why you might not want something full of Balrogs and wizards and hobbits. I get that. But at the same time, your argument is opinion, and I'm giving you some facts, and you're dismissing the facts. Anyway, it was a fun conversation, and that's the thing. So Lord of the Rings, yeah, it's perfect. Hobbit isn't perfect, but it's still good. It's not like it's badly acted. It's not like the like, Smaug doesn't look good on screen. I think it's a case of they way overstretched a very short story into three movies because money. All that's acceptable, flawed, but I thought that's it, job done. You know, I've always loved the stuff about the first age and second age and all this kind of stuff. And therefore, when I heard Amazon was going to be making the Rings of Power TV series, I was geeking out. And I've done a whole episode on it. If you want to get my thoughts, listen to it there. But I think some of it was good, some of it was bad, but it's a classic example where... A whole bunch of people absolutely were disproportionately, insanely angry over a TV show. A TV show where hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent. This was not a half-hearted enterprise. So why exactly are you angry and freaking out? Please explain that to me. I, I, I just don't get it. So, you know, it may not quite be your thing. And I personally also think there were a few missteps in the, in the TV show. But that does not mean that it's a terrible TV show or, ah, my eyes, my eyes. And this is the thing when it comes to elements such as remakes or the movie isn't as good as the book or whatever. There's still the original thing. You don't like Lord of the Rings, the movies, because they leave out Tom Bombadil. Okay, I, I guess there's about five people out there that might think that. Well, you can always go back to the books and read the silly stuff with Tom Bombadil. Sorry, not a fan. Anyway, hopefully you, you get my point on this. And the problem is fundamentally the internet. While it's allowed people to share their love, it's also allowed groups to get together and start ranting. And if you like the complete opposite of people trying to come together, doing a writing campaign to bring back a thing, yeah, that's all valid. But at the same time, you've also now got people getting together trying to get things cancelled. Now, sometimes, weirdly, it can kind of work. There was the Justice League movie of 2017 that everybody knew that Zack Snyder had to step away from it for very sad personal reasons. And Zack Snyder's movies by then were, you either went with them or you're sitting there going, mm, not so sure. And they were all very lol. But the point was that... I guess DC slash Warner Brothers were getting cold feet. You know, he was creating stuff that a certain type of fan absolutely loved, but it wasn't hitting the mainstream audience. And so it was handed over. And what we got, and this is an example where the original trailer showed stuff that just simply wasn't in the movie, or indeed showed elements of the movie that had clearly been changed. The actual scene itself had been changed from like nighttime to daytime or something like that. And when it came out, and we're talking about the biggest superheroes in comic book history. All respect, you know, maybe Spider-Man's number one, but then it goes Batman, Superman, and then you got Wonder Woman. So, and there's even a lot of fans to Aquaman. There are more fans to Aquaman than there are to Ant-Man, for example. So, yeah, the thing about the Justice League is 
everybody was waiting for it. It could have been great, and it clearly wasn't. But it was also clear that Zack Snyder had a lot of stuff that wasn't used in it. And this rumbled on for four years. And under normal circumstances, there's just no way any of this would have ever happened. But because of COVID and because so many productions were shut down, we did eventually get, in 2021, we get Zack Snyder's Justice League, where he was given millions to sort of like clean up the audio and add in a few special effects, and he's even allowed to film a couple more scenes, sort of hang it all together, and we get more than four hours. And again, it has its flaws and stuff, but it's substantially better than the original Justice League movie that came out in 2017. So the fans got together and we got better art or better story. Call it what you will. It's an example of the fans winning. It's not all corrosive, but again, you do just get people gathering together and and now every time there's an episode of the mandalorian coming out or maybe an episode or a movie i should say coming out something like creed 3 for example instantly there are reaction videos on youtube people love it people hate it etc to be fair something like creed 3 generally got very good reviews but with mandalorian we get people saying oh i think it's this oh i think it's that this is where i'm going and also you get people getting very angry about this stuff and again it's all made up it's all made it's there to entertain you nothing more than that of course the other element of fanboying is the world of sports and you can't get more dedicated fans than somebody who follows a team now this could be in america with football or it could be in the rest of the world with a different type of football and let's not go into which one's better but what i find fascinating is you will see people walking around in britain i can't comment on other countries it wouldn't surprise me where literally they have the shield, the sort of like the logo, if you're going to use a a modern term, the ident of their football club tattooed into their skin permanently. This is how much I am a Liverpool fan, a Manchester United fan, an Arsenal fan, whatever. Pick your flavour and off we go. And people will buy ridiculously expensive jerseys if you're in America. We all know that the actual shirt itself cost maybe five dollars but because it's got my team on it i'm going to pay 55 dollars for it or more or you know and then it costs more to have your name sort of emblazoned on the back of it or your favorite person's name emblazoned on the back of it and it's a whole industry of itself then this is a situation where if your team wins everybody's on a high for you know the next week and if your team loses There can be screaming, shouting, and sadly, occasionally, there can be violence. This is where I would say that Europe is probably more sports mad than America, because in America, this is the thing I've never understood, America has a lot of guns. And so when, let's say, the Green Bay Packers lose to the Dallas Cowboys, why isn't there a shootout? Logically, if people are so angry and they've got guns, they might start shooting each other very glad that that does not happen okay for the record i'm not looking forward to this but it's sort of like you would think so because football hooliganism violence around football has been a blight in europe and britain for decades and it's definitely gotten better but imagine if those hooligans also had semi-automatic assault rifles i mean it would be a bloodbath so you get to the sports and there's a whole other level of people absolutely going crazy i love it we're hearing football fans i've got football fans in the family and one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You get phrases like, oh, did you see the game over the weekend? Oh, we really did well. We? What did you do? You sat in front of the TV just filling your face with snacks, you know? You in no way contributed. Maybe you could argue, and it is statistically true, you are more likely to win in front of a home crowd because they're cheering you on than when you are away, playing away from your stadium. That is statistically true, but you're not even doing that. You're just sitting on TV. So, no, you in no way contributed to that. A good day to you, sir. <laughs> so I'm going to move into, you. Know, everybody knows, or if, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I like a bit of Warhammer. So what I find interesting about this, and this was something I've been thinking about, can I do a whole episode on it? And the answer is no. But it was announced basically at the end of 2022 that Henry Cavill, the guy who used to play Superman in the Zack Snyder movies, the guy who plays The Witcher, he is doing a specific project with Amazon using the Warhammer IP intellectual property. So he was seen in the sort of summer of 2022 at Warhammer World, which is Games Workshop's headquarters. They actually make some of the stuff there. You can also do gaming there. And they have a very large shop there as well, just conveniently there for you. I mean, why not? And so it's clearly that was the point when he was signing on to it. And he is being outspoken as a fan of Warhammer. He particularly likes Warhammer 40,000. And he has a Custodes army, which is sort of like the guardians of the emperor in the gold ceramite armor. That's what the background is, okay? But the thing about this is this. I have mentioned in passing that Warhammer, or oh, Games Workshop, I should say, a couple of years ago, I'm going to say, 
18 months, don't know, created Warhammer Plus, and it was originally sold as basically Netflix for Warhammer fans. There'll be animation on it, there'll be programs on it. Well, absolutely none of the live-action TV shows have come onto it, in the sense of, like, you know, I'm an Inquisitor, and I'm... There's meant to be an Eisenhorn TV series, but that's all just been quietly shelved. Maybe that's what's going to be turned into the Amazon TV show unknown at this point but they do do sort of like live games or not live games but like they'll record a game and sort of show you that it's very well edited together it's very nice but it's obviously not the world's most expensive thing to do you've got staff rolling dice using the figures you already have both made designed painted etc so yeah i mean it's it's i guess it's fun to watch if you're a bit of a diehard fan but it has its limits but the other thing is that games workshop through their subsidiary company, the Black Library, is their publishing wing. And they have published more than 450 books. Indeed, Games Workshop has a bit of, or I should say the Black Library, has a bit of a problem. There are some weeks where more than one book is released. Literally nobody can seriously keep up with all of the law. It's impossible. And I have, I guess this is why I have to sort of say, I may be potentially biased here, although I am stating facts at the moment, and the reason why I'm biased is I, again, if you haven't heard this before, welcome to the podcast because you're new. I have written coming up to about 15 different books. I've had to about 12 of them published, actual through publishers, and I've had a, written a number of historical novels as well, which I've ended up having to self-publish. So in other words, I know I can write a book, and I like Warhammer, and I think you can see where this is going. So I have actually applied, trying to catch the eye of Black Library a few times, and have always been turned down. And that's a bit annoying. But at the same time, looking at their books, and this is a great example of, like, fan versus reality. So I'm going to read out just a random little bit of excerpt of a Warhammer 40,000 book called Renegades of the Long War. So with zero context, I'm going to now read out just a bit here. You just give me a minute. And so when I start talking about the writing, you'll see what I mean. The escort sailing with the Pitker, a pair of idolater-class lance raiders, and a single infidel-class torpedo frigate that any reasonable commander would have decommissioned a century ago, peeled away from the larger vessel's flanks and surged towards the Huntress. Their commanders spread their meagre numbers in a wide formation, seeking to divide the invader's fire and buy time for the Pitker to come about and bring her superior weapon batteries to bear. Void conflict was a feat of mathematics and complex calculations, a precise dance conducted from a staggering distance, battles with the, where the opposing commanders were ever close enough to have made visual contact with one another were occasions of extreme rarity. So, my point is this. That was a random section, and boy, can they get worse than that. I find the Black Library writing staggeringly stodgy and Obviously, clearly, these writers, all the different writers, they're good writers. But when you're given restrictions, you must use this vocabulary. This is the basic story we want. You've got 80,000 words to do it. You can't go any further than that. You cannot include the characters that you want because they're off doing other things at this time. So this is what we basically want from you. Go. Go write. And so you get endless pages of description and they're not easy to read. And you get other things like people are muttering through their all specs, something like that. I, I, I've got all specs is a scanner 
there's another word for the radios i forget but the problem is it's constantly using the in world words which while that is accurate to the law imagine i mean what i've just read read out there you assume it's about spaceships fighting but you don't necessarily know what an idolater class frigate is and you know centuries ago the problem is this with hundreds of books which have been accrued over decades and the key thing is as i've said in one of my previous episodes about warhammer is one of the appeals of it is everybody's wrong and this is for a good reason because you have to be a special kind of edgelord if you're going to be the bad boy of tabletop roleplay games. I mean, you are basically pushing toy soldiers around a table and rolling dice. There's nothing bad or dangerous about that. So basically, they try and show that everybody's got a point of view where they could be right and absolutely a point of view where they could be wrong. That's great for lore. It means, but there's a fundamental misreading about story. A story has to happen. If you like the lore of Middle Earth, is stuff like the first age and second age it sort of like tells you how the rings were created and the fact that the elves have come over from valinor and that there have been previously been battles that had kind of devastated parts of middle earth this is interesting but it's like the history but then you get the actual story of frodo have a ring get to the volcano can you destroy it before you get killed you know it's a pretty standard sort of hero's journey type story I can't find a proper story, unless it's literally got the character name on the front of the book. It's basically, ah, oh, this person was in this battle, but, you know, this battle's been described previously in three other books, but we're now getting it from a different point of view, this time from a sniper on the Chaos Warriors side, rather than on the Sisters of Battle on the other side, from the point of view of a tank driver. So, <laughs> um, yeah, first of all, there is so much lore, so much background. You know, hundreds, thousands, millions of words. You know, hundreds of books, thousands of chapters, and, you know, like I say, millions of words. There's just, nobody can follow all of it. And then we got, which flavor do you want? Do you want Age of Sigma, which is sort of like the fantasy battle version of it? Do you want Warhammer 40,000? There are also books on Necromunda specifically, which is about gang warfare and massive tower blocks in the 40,000 world but you don't ever see any space marines in that one. Or it could be something like Blood Bowl, which is kind of far more fun. Generally, whenever you read any of these books, they're all humorless. Nobody really has much character arc. It's sort of like, I am a bad guy, and I will continue to be a bad guy, and then I die. Or I win, because I'm just so bad. Not very satisfying. Just so generally, I love the setting. I love the fact that everything's dark and morally complex, and at times very violent. But I don't like the fact that it's it's not like that all the time and again for amazon they have to make something that is going to appeal not just to warhammer law nerds but also you know jerry who's just sitting there in minnesota on a saturday evening who wants to just watch something with the family and so you will i guarantee right now while you will get a big name like henry cavill in it you will also get probably all of the warhammer community community freaking out because it's hashtag not my warhammer oh they've made it woke or whatever but it's like guys if you did it exactly the way it is in the books 27 people would love it even the warhammer community would argue about it go oh well i don't think that a gray knight could possibly be able to slay a greater demon of gorn in that scenario oh it's so unrealistic oh they're just doing it to sell more figures or whatever and that's exactly why Games Workshop exists. They are a model company. They want to sell more figures. So go figure. 
Anyway, that's if you like the, the background of all this stuff. Now, let's get into some of the history. So, you may be aware that there's the Olympic Games, and indeed, I have done an episode on the Olympics. We'll know more about that. Listen to that one. And clearly, there were crowds there. You could say that they were fans, and they would be cheering on. So, if I'm from Sparta, I'll be cheering on all the people who are from Sparta, that both men and women competed in the Olympic Games. So, that would be a classic example. Let's move on. To, so we are talking about the world of sports fans rather than literary fans or something like that. Let's move on to the Romans. And I bet you're going to think I'm going to mention gladiators. And yes, I am. So, I mean, clearly there is actual historical examples of people being fans of certain gladiators that people would follow them. And as I said before, there is this strange dichotomy between a gladiator being a slave who is sometimes forced to fight to death and also being a, somebody of stature in civilization. People would collect gladiator blood. They believed that it cured epilepsy. And things like gladiator sweat as well. Rich Roman aristocratic women would sometimes pay to have a night with a gladiator. This is a pretty strange perk. I mean, you could start talking about the, all kinds of problems there, like the whole Me Too. I mean, whams if the gladiator's not particularly into it. Doesn't have a say in it or anything like that. So yes, gladiators are a great example of fans existing more than 2,000 years ago. But the interesting thing about that is the Colosseum, which was the largest Colosseum, I mean, it was actually the Flavian Amphitheatre, is what it was called at the time, created in the first century AD, that seated about 60,000 people. But if you just went kind of down the road in Rome, you could go to the Circus Maximus, and that accommodated quarter of a million spectators four times the amount of people and today in any kind of modern stadium nothing gets up to that capacity so that's a bunch of fans and what were they there to see well i said circus but no it's got nothing to do with clowns this was horse racing or actually technically it was chariot racing but to give you an idea so charioteers became household names how do we know that they're written down these weren't emperors or generals, but yet we've got the names of them. And indeed, there's quite a famous one. He was in the 2nd century AD called Gaius Apuleius Diocles. Now, he won a total of 1,462 out of 4,257 races. That's better than 25% success rate, which for any kind of racer, that's excellent, okay? He had a two-decade-long career, and during his career he won nearly 36 million sesterces. Now, you don't even need any kind of translation to that. As soon as I start saying millions, it's like, that's clearly a lot of money. But to put it into modern-day dollar terms, that's a, that's a bit over $13 billion. So he was, uh, so good old Gaius was earning more in real terms than someone like Michael Jordan. So that shows you how much people were sort of fanboying over somebody like him. Now, obviously, people were placing bets and, and earning some good cash with him as well. Thank you so much there, Gaius. But on top of that, you, you go through history and we start getting these literary people. Shakespeare being an obvious one, but as we go into the Age of Enlightenment, writers of novels, poetry, and also plays, all these people started getting fans. We know that people followed Shakespeare around. People would go to the new Shakespeare play just by name recognition only. 
This would have been something like in the 1930s, when it's a Lauren Bacall film. It's like, I haven't seen this one, I don't know if it's any good, but I like Lauren Bacall, I'm going to go and see this movie. Or, you know, John Wayne in the 40s or 50s. You get the idea. So it's exactly the same thing. And, and this is an example of showing you how much we tend to think that the ancient world, the further back we go in history, the harder it is to understand how these people thought. And to an extent, that is true. There are some very hard concepts for us to get our head around, like the idea of going on crusade and with no sense of irony, whatever, fighting and killing people in the name of Jesus Christ which is clearly the opposite of what Jesus Christ actually said. That's a very hard idea for us to get around, but the idea of fanboying, in inverted commas, again, you know, you may be a fangirl or whatever, fanboying around a person is something that we can get into today. I'm a huge fan, for example, of Steven Spielberg. I've seen pretty much everything he's ever done. Well, I mean, movie-wise, even something like Sugarland Express, I haven't seen his episodes of Columbo. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of his, and therefore I will go and see the next Spielberg thing, because he very, very rarely makes a mistake on screen, and even his mistakes are better than most people's good movies. So, well done, Stephen. So that would be an example, you know, I respect him, I like him, I've never met him, but the name itself will get my attention. And that's the point of, of being a fan, if you like. But moving into, and I love this one, if we move into the late 1700s, we get Lord Byron. Now, he, in a way, could have been the first sort of rock star, even though it's nothing to do with rock, but his poetry was seen as sexually audacious or romantically savage. He was the bad boy. He was the equivalent of, like, that 1980s rocker singing about slightly subversive things with very tight leather trousers. He was good-looking, and basically women wanted to be with him, and he was quite the ladies' man, even though he himself was actually fairly unfit and had various medical conditions, because it was the 1700s, everybody did. A bit of you's got to drop off at some point. But if you like, his romantic element led him into sort of picking up the the extremely popular idea of Greek independence against the Ottoman Empire. And so, yes, he died actually not in combat. That would have been a far more romantic way to end. He actually died of, of basic illness during the Greek War of Independence. I don't know exactly what the Greeks thought. I mean, he did bring money with him. First of all, he's heightening their cause. That's all people always appreciate that. He's bringing some money which can pay for weapons or supplies or maybe even boats because there's a lot of islands in Greece. But I'm not entirely sure how happy you'd be about a poet turning up going, yeah, maybe he should be able to shoot a gun rather than write a really scintillating poem about the ecstasies of death or something. That's not necessarily going to help us beat the Ottoman army over there on the brow of the hill. So anyway... So, you know, so you're into Byron, and then it's weird to think that somebody in the 1700s, into the 1800s, there are fanboys. But as I said, it goes back as far, at least, as, as ancient Greece. It could be even earlier than that. And obviously, once we're into the 1800s, we're all well aware of the likes of maybe it could be Dickens, it could be Chekhov. You know, we've now got, you know, we've got people like Beethoven, etc. We have these names that still, to this day, people are fans of you know they're 
their writing, their music, whatever, has echoed down the generations. And so you've now got fans of people that they could never possibly meet. We can pay their respects in their homes. We can buy their works, although most of them aren't in copyright anymore. So who's getting the money? Uh, I don't know. Whoever wants to print the book or, or work or what have you, perform it, etc. On the appeals of these things. But that, if you like, is the strange and longer than you think era of fanboyness or, or fans, the fan society in the world. Just a quick one, please, if you've just heard this one for the first time, do click subscribe. If you could give us a review, that'd be great. We're now doing two episodes a week, everybody. That's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Don't know which day this one's coming out, but there'll be another one coming out very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.